Welcome to Mass Reform. My name is John Norris. Primary elections, how do they work? Every four years, the United States of America determines its next president through an election. But before Americans can vote for the commander-in-chief, they have to figure out who is actually running in the general election. To do this, political parties gather together and elect their nominee through a process called the primaries. But how do primaries work? Who runs them, and does each party use the same system? We're going to take a look at the primary process, comparing and contrasting the process of the two major parties of our time, and discuss possible strengths and weaknesses of their process. A quick side note, as we all know there are more than two parties in the United States who have their own process for electing their presidential nominee, and these quote third party groups unquote, as they are called, are every bit as legitimate as the Democrats or Republicans, but the two major parties represent the largest segments of the population and trying to cover every part of the United States would be well beyond the scope of this short podcast. During the primary process, both the Democrats and the Republicans use delegates, or a person designated to act for or represent a group or person, instead of using maybe a popular vote or any other system. The delegates go to their respective national convention and cast their vote for a candidate, which determines their nominee for President of the United States. What you need to know is there are different types of delegates, and each party has different rules surrounding how many delegates there are, what kind there are, how they vote, and even how they're awarded to the candidates. The Democratic Party has two types of convention delegates, a pledged and an unpledged, together totaling 4,762 delegates. A pledged delegate is an individual whose choice of candidate is made for them by either a caucus or a primary election. They are representational of the will of the Democratic Party voters. Even more specifically, there are three types of pledged delegates in the Democratic Party, being congressional district delegates, at-large delegates, and party leader and elected official delegates, also called PLEO delegates. Congressional district delegates are allocated to candidates based on the results of a caucus or primary election that happens inside of a congressional district. There are 435 congressional districts, each representing roughly 700,000 people. At-large delegates are awarded based on a statewide vote. PLEOs are party leaders that are elected or appointed officials who are registered Democrats whose vote gets allocated proportionally based on a statewide primary caucus. In other words, congressional district delegates are allocated on a local level, at-large delegates are allocated based on a statewide, and PLEO delegates are party officers or elected officials who also get to be delegates that are awarded on a statewide result. Democratic candidates can only earn pledged delegates from any state or district if they win at least 15% of the vote cast in the primary of the caucus. This is sometimes referred to as the 15% threshold. These pledged delegates are people who will represent the will of the Democratic Party, have no say in who they vote for, and must represent the candidate to whom they are pledged. More on that later. The Democratic Party also has unpledged delegates. These unpledged delegates are members of the Democratic National Committee, Democratic members of Congress, Democratic governors, or distinguished party leaders, such as former presidents or vice presidents. Some such people would be President Bill Clinton, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Senator Elizabeth Warren, or Governor Jerry Brown. These are also called superdelegates because they can cast their vote in any way they choose. No matter how the people in their respective areas vote, they can cast their vote for presidential candidates in any fashion. 
In 2016, there are going to be approximately 714 unpledged delegates, making them about 15% of the total delegates. I use the word approximately and about 15% because, unlike a pledged delegate, if an unpledged delegate does not attend the National Convention to cast their vote, there are no alternatives. They just missed their chance to vote. Something else the DNC does is it creates rules to decide the composition of their pledged delegates from the states and territories. Delegates must be equally divided amongst men and women. Each state sets forth its own specific goals for the number of pledged delegates who will be African American, Hispanic, Native American, and Asian American and Pacific Islander. Each state has a mandate to create and perform outreach to any group that has been traditionally underrepresented in the political process due to race, ethnicity, age, sexual orientation, or disability. Republicans also use the delegate system, but only have 2,472 delegates, or about 2,290 less than the Democrats. We'll discuss the strengths and the weaknesses of higher and lower numbers in a minute. Similar to Democrats, the Republican Party has three types of delegates, and the first two are pretty much the same, being congressional uh, district delegates and at-large delegates. But instead of PLEO, or the party leaders and elected officials, Republicans have Republican National Committee members. Also, Democrats determine the number of delegates based on population and voting history, but Republicans give all districts a flat three congressional district delegates regardless of any other factors. It is expected that there will be 1,305 congressional delegates at the 2016 Republican National Convention making up about 52.7% of their total delegates. Each state is also given a base 10 at-large delegates with a few additional bonus at-large delegates awarded to states based on political merit-based systems. Uh, if a state is elected a Republican governor, a Republican U.S. Senator, or a Republican majority state legislature, they may be allocated additional at-large delegates as a reward for their performance. If a state has a previous presidential election that they voted in, and they got a majority for an eventual Republican presidential nominee, such as Mitt Romney in 2012, they'll receive an additional at-large delegate. Overall, there'll be an estimated 999 at-large delegates in 2016, or about 40% of the total delegates. Both the congressional district delegates and the at-large delegates work in similar fashion to their Democrat counterparts. That is, they have no say in who they vote for, they must vote for the candidate that resulted from either primary election or caucus, and represent the will of the Republican Party. The last kind of delegate on the Republican Party has a slightly different function than their Democrat counterparts. Instead of having a party leader and elected officials group, the last group is the Republican National Committee members. There are 168 in total across the country and are automatically delegates, but may or may not be required to pledge their vote according to their state laws. On the Republican side, each state has a greater amount of control in their primary process, which explains why some states pledge their RNC delegates based on primary elections or caucus, while some other states allow their RNC delegates to choose their own candidate. Those who are allowed to vote whichever way they want are considered the superdelegates of the Republican Party, and unlike the Democratic Party, they are not a separate group designed by the party, but instead determined by state rules. Both parties have their own twist on delegates and how they work. So which is better? As the answer is with most questions in life, there is no clear answer. But we can take a look at the benefits and deficits of each and make a decision for ourselves. For example, 
Democrats have 4,763 delegates in total, and Republicans have 2,472. For a politically educated person, these are meaningless numbers when compared to each other since they are completely independent systems with no correlation. But on more than one occasion, I've heard the following or a similar statement. How can Republican candidate X hope to be Democratic candidate Y when candidate Y has twice the delegates? For someone who votes but does not understand the primary process, it could be easily misconstrued that Democrats have a perpetual advantage during the primary process. This is untrue, of course, but not all people understand this. Both parties use district delegates, but for the Democrats, they have an equation to determine how many delegates each congressional district receives, while Republicans just give a flat three. Since congressional districts are determined by a census every 10 years, and each congressional district represents the same number of people, it could be seen as giving weight more to one group than another. For Republicans who give just three, that means each one represents around 233,000 people. Democrats, on the other hand, it's completely random and it's variable. In Iowa, for example, there are 29 congressional district delegates awarded on the Democrat side, meaning statewide, each delegate on average represented 107,000 people, with each actual delegate representing varying amounts depending on the district you're looking at. Compare this to Florida, where each delegate is representing 144,000 people, showing that some delegates are worth more than others. On the other hand, Republicans only give out three each, which is a universally equal value, but does not permit merit-based awards for congressional district delegates. The same argument cannot be made for at-large delegates where Republicans give 10 to each state, then give out bonuses according to how well the party does in the state elections. This promotes competition for states who wish to receive more delegates. In the 2016 election, there will be over 400 bonus at-large delegates awarded in the Republican Party. The largest difference between the parties comes in the use of superdelegates. Since Democrats have an entire class of delegates created in the DNC, it gives them a level of control over the outcome not seen in the Republican Party. This has caused some confusion and misinformation in election, but superdelegates can announce their support publicly and change their minds at any time. During the 2016 election, this group of delegates is commonly included in delegate counts, which inflates the number of a given particular candidate. At the time of this podcast is being recorded, Hillary Clinton is being reported as nearly doubling Bernie Sanders, according to RealClearPolitics.com. She has 1,614, and Bernie has 856. But take away the superdelegates, and it becomes 1,119 to 813, a much tighter race. The power of the superdelegate to sway both perception of the election and the election itself is highly noticeable. Where superdelegates represent 15% of the total delegates on the Democrat side, the Republicans' version, the RNC members, remain relatively constant in number and make up only about 6-7% of the total vote. This gives Republicans more measure of control, but far less than the DNC, but allows for the public more power to determine their candidate. But, as we're about to see, Republicans have controls in place also. Alright, so we have a handle on who delegates are their function, and how each party classifies them. So let's go over how each party allocates them. I'll start with the Democrats because their system is much simpler. As mentioned before, a candidate needs at least 15% of the total vote from a primary election or caucus. But besides that, it's fairly straightforward. Each state has either a primary election or a caucus, with their delegates being apportioned based on the results. 
If a candidate gets 50% of the vote, then they get 50% of the delegates. It's that simple. But there are some controls put into place to determine the order of the states have their primary, to avoid having states constantly pushing their dates up to be considered more important. Any state moving their Democratic primary up will lose an amount of delegates determined at the time of the infraction. The Republicans have a more complex system with greater flexibility and authority to run their own primaries within the states. Some simple rules are in place, such as the order of state primaries. No state can have a primary prior to March 1st, except for Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. And these four states are also allowed to run virtually any kind of primary they wish, such as a caucus, an election, a convention, winner-take-all, etc. For other states, they can start as early as March 1st, but all states who have their primaries before March 15th must allocate delegates based on a proportional basis. In other words, you get a percentage of the vote, you get a percentage of the delegates. After the 15th of March, states have almost complete reign on how to control their elections. There are too many variations to cover here, but I'll give you a couple examples just to show you how complex this can be. One variable is the threshold. Just like the Democrats impose countrywide, the state Republican committees can put a minimum percentage of the vote in order to get any delegates. Massachusetts and Kentucky have a 5% threshold, Alaska has a 13% threshold, New Hampshire 10%, Michigan 15%, and Texas 20%, just to name a few. In total, 26 states have a threshold and no state is allowed to go higher than 20%. Another variable is the winner-take-all primary. This is when a candidate meets a certain condition and wins all delegates or all delegates of a particular type. For example, in South Carolina, each district gives the candidate with the highest votes all three delegates, and the winner of the statewide vote gets all of the at-large and RNC delegates. Some states use a ceiling, meaning if a candidate reaches a percent of the vote, they can trigger a winner-take-all condition. This state gives a percent of the vote and which type of delegate is awarded. For example, in Minnesota, if a candidate receives 85% of the vote, they win all the at-large and the congressional district delegates. But in Texas, if a candidate receives 50% of the total vote, then they can receive all of the at-large delegates, but congressional district delegates are apportioned normally. To add a little more complexity, states can create rules about how they apportion out congressional district delegates, such as Rhode Island, where if three candidates get over 10% in a congressional district, they each get one delegate. But if any candidate gets over 67% in that district, they get all three delegates. In Louisiana, there is a 20% threshold on at-large delegates, but there's no threshold on congressional district delegates. This makes it fun for a political junkie like myself, but these rules make it difficult to follow or calculate how well a candidate's doing in a given area until after the results are finished and the numbers are released. For example, a candidate who's polling 49% in Texas would get apportioned delegates, but if during the primary process they get one more percent, they trigger a ceiling, giving the candidate all of the at-large delegates, but the congressional district delegates are still apportioned according to the primary results. A little confusing, huh? The simplicity of the Democrat system can be a strength, and at a glance, the Republicans' free-flowing system a deficit. But upon closer exam, the Republican setup offers a great system of checks. Where Democrats put candidate controls in their delegate setup, Republicans put them in the primary process. With South Carolina being a winner-take-all state, it would give one candidate a large lead early in the primary, causing those who were not performing well to step down. This reduces the chance of a long-lasting primary, giving the nominee an opportunity to focus on the other party and gather support early. 
Also allowing states to run their own primaries gives other states the ability to observe their systems and adjust their own based on what they see. Now that we discussed who delegates are and how parties allocate them to candidates, we need to cover the resolution of the primary. There is one simple answer, somebody wins. One candidate from a party gets more than 50% of the total delegates. That candidate goes on to the general election and faces off against their political opponent for the presidency. But what happens when no one reaches 50%? What happens is the parties still have their convention as planned. When they get there, they vote as they normally would, even if the counts ahead of time indicate no clear winner. Once all delegates have voted, an official result is reported, and if no candidate has a majority, a brokered convention occurs. This can also be called a contested or an open convention. It is at this point that all delegates are released from their required voting and instead can vote as they wish. This can dramatically shift the delegate count one way or another. Also note, if a broker convention is looming, superdelegates can lend their support behind a frontrunner in hopes of gathering enough delegates to avoid a broker convention. There is some belief that a broker convention is a negative effect on the chances of an eventual presidential nominee, but as history shows, that's not always true. Just to name a few presidents that have come from a broken convention, President Harding, Harrison, Garfield, who had no delegates going to the convention, Hayes, and Abraham Lincoln. Parties will continue to count and recount, reallocating their delegates over and over again until eventually somebody has a majority support. Historically, this has taken up all the way to 30 votes in order to finally get an end result. After delegates have been released from their obligation, another vote is taken. And if that one turns out to have no candidate with 50% or more, they do the process again, every time hoping that enough people switch sides for an eventual nominee to be named. This will occur over and over again until somebody is named. This is a mass reform product. We are dedicated to education and excellence. Our nonprofit organization is supported by donations from people just like you. All donations are tax deductible and go into making better educational tools for the people. My name is John Norris from MassReform.org.